I'm Chris Stuchko, co-host of the Ninth Grade Experience Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com sponsors, Find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Ron Anbar. He is board certified in both pediatric pulmonology and general pediatrics. He also is an approved consultant of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Today we're talking about his book, Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, A Journey to the Center. You are going to learn so much. This is an awesome, awesome interview. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being here. And by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and left a review. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code. Capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Amy Buckley is the chief academic officer and co-founder of StudyHelp, a tutoring platform. You can hear Amy talk about StudyHelp at stephenmaletto.com slash 449. That's episode 449. Amy has given me a few hundred dollar gift cards for StudyHelp, you know, to give away. That is so cool. Just send me an email at my contact page, stephenmaletto.com slash contact. Simply say, I would like a hundred dollar gift card to StudyHelp. First come, first serve. This is a giveaway that is awesome. Good luck. You are listening to Teaching Learning Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Rondi Anwar, MD, Fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, is board certified in both pediatric pulmonology and general pediatrics, offering hypnosis and counseling services at Centerpoint Medicine in La Jolla, California, and Syracuse, New York. Dr. Anbar is also a past president fellow and approved consultant of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Dr. Anbar is a leader in clinical hypnosis, and his 25 years of experience have allowed him to successfully treat over 7,000 children. 
He also served as professor of pediatrics and medicine and the director of pediatric pulmonology at SUNY Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, for 21 years. Dr. Anwar also worked as a guest editor and advisory editor for the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis. His experience has offered him the opportunity to direct and co-direct more than 20 clinical workshops on the subject of pediatric hypnosis. Additionally, he has trained more than 1,000 health care providers and lectured all over the world. In addition to his teaching and lecturing experiences, Dr. Anwar has been the principal investigator in 10 published case studies of pediatric hypnosis and involved in research trials of children with cystic fibrosis and other pulmonary disorders. He is a published author of more than 50 articles, abstracts, and book chapters on pediatric functional disorders and pediatric hypnosis. Graduating from the University of California, San Diego with undergraduate degrees in biology and psychology, Dr. Ambar earned his medical degree from the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. He completed his pediatric residency and pediatric pulmonary fellowship training at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston. Dr. Ambar received training in hypnosis from the Society of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics and the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Today, we're focused on Dr. Anbar's book, Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, A Journey to the Center. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Anbar, and uh, welcome to the show and say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I'm glad you're here, and uh, your book is titled Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, A Journey to the Center. And before I ask this question, I just got to tell you, I, I said this before we started recording, I did not realize when I started reading your book that I was actually going to have, I mean, I, oh, forget it. I was crying. <laughs> All right. I mean, you had me teary and uh, I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and uh, because your book, you tell some stories in the beginning about some patients or connections that you had and which set you on the path. And I got to ask you when I say this, what was your original inspiration for your book? Well, my original inspiration was when I learned how hypnosis can change people's lives, I wanted to sh- spread the news. I wrote an early version of this book already close to 20 years ago after having done hypnosis for only a couple of years. Uh, but then I let it sit for uh, almost two decades before I picked it up again. Uh, and I'm glad I waited because I've learned a lot over the last uh, 20 years. And I am looking forward to sharing this with you. I should just tell your audience that hopefully hypnosis doesn't make you cry. But what what was, I think, a lot of patients have used hypnosis, including many of my patients with uh, serious pulmonary illnesses, and their stories are very touching. Very much so. And uh, yes, you are correct. It was not the hypnosis that was <laughs> <laughs> making me up. And I, and I wouldn't even say it's upset. It's just very touching stories, like you said, and uh, uh, powerful stories and ways uh, to start the book. Uh, you know, you started as a practicing pulmonary and general pedi- pediatrician. How did this path lead you to focusing on hypnosis? So I practiced as a pediatrician and pulmonologist for 15 years, when a patient was referred to me who was very allergic to milk products. And twice in his life, he almost died from eating milk products. And uh, he came to me and he said, uh, lately when I've been smelling cheeseburgers, I've been, I've been developing asthma attacks. I thought it was a rather strange sounding symptom. And I said to him, well, can you imagine eating a cheeseburger, which is something he could never do in real life. And within seconds, he was having a great deal of difficulty breathing. And I thought to myself, oh, no, he's going to have a big attack here. And I said, stop it. And he did. And I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, no, I couldn't breathe. That was my asthma. And immediately I'm thinking, wait a minute, you can imagine yourself into an illness. And then if you can do that, could you imagine yourself out of an illness? And later I found out that was hypnosis. That's that's um, it's um, it's amazing because when I 
read that part of the story, I'm like, oh my gosh, because that's, you know, that you can imagine any number of things that people might be able to imagine themselves into then. Um, everything, I mean, all kinds of fears and uh, anxiety to, I mean, he's basically sending himself into the possibility of dying there in front of you. I'm not sure he could have actually died, God forbid, but, you know, we do, we do know, first of all, this is pretty common. As we'll discuss, many, many people do this. Their psychology affects their symptoms. They just don't realize it. Um, and, you know, the people, ha- people have died from, like, had a heart attack from being in a stressful psychological situation. So psychology is very powerful. And what I've learned is you can use hypnosis or psychological therapy to teach people how to regulate their emotions so that the psychology does not play out in a bad way. And in fact, it can play out in a good way. Excellent. Now, now you have a, where I'm going next, you have a chapter of this in the book, because a lot of times when people hear hypnosis, they, the first thing they think about is someone acting like a chicken on a stage or, uh, you, know, you know, a magician who's claiming to do uh, um, magic and hypnosis and so forth, you know, the great uh, whoever. <laughs> Preskin. Yes, there we go. There's yes. one. And, uh, uh, you know, and the, all kinds of other possibilities. You know, could you share some about the mystery and hip- history of hypnosis and maybe some of the misconceptions? Yes. Well, the history of hypnosis uh, oftentimes uh, prevents me from giving or prevents people from considering hypnosis as therapy. So let's be very clear. First of all, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Nobody can hypnotize you unlike what you see, what is implied in, in stage or magic shows. Um, hypnosis is not sleep. When you're doing hypnosis, you know what's going on. You could stop at any time. Hypnosis is not unusual. Um, we all do hypnosis all the time. For example, if you've driven three miles down the road in a highway and said, how'd I get here? That's hypnosis. If you live, ever listen to a boring podcast, I'm sure not this one, and your mind starts wandering off daydreaming, that's hypnosis. If you watch young children and play pretend games, that's hypnosis. Hypnosis is all around us, but in that state of mind, you're more open to suggestions. Now, just to clarify what happens in the magic show, the magician picks people who are good at hypnosis. There, some people are better at it than others, and he then tells them things, and they follow through. It's not, it's not pretend. They will appear to fall asleep, for example, but they're not really asleep. They're in a state of hypnosis, and they're very suggestible. Again, he picks volunteers, so it doesn't happen against somebody's will. The only mind control in hypnosis is you learn to control your mind better. That's all. That's awesome because that's uh, you know, and uh, and I guess you know some of what we probably all try and do of our own version of it would be to talk ourselves out of being afraid of going, you know, <laughs> to report into work that day or uh, you know whatever. To get on the plane, um, be okay while you're flying on the plane, or whatever it is, uh, maybe driving with Aunt Martha. <laughs> never, never mind. I exactly right. I tell people, you have a choice. When you learn to control your mind and emotions better, you have a choice of whether to become upset or stay calm, whether to become depressed or be have a more positive outlook in life. Because how we think dictates how we feel. So when you learn to manipulate how you think, things improve. Now, I am oversimplifying here, so you can't just easily think you out of depression as an example, but ultimately, if we take depression as an example, the way you get better is learn to have a different thinking pattern. So one of the things that I got I to make sure that we, uh, we talk about is that you, I mean, you've had some successes, some major successes here. And uh, could, could you talk a little bit about some of your inspiring and 
more impactful patient experiences that you've had? Well, sure. If you take the first young man who uh, thought himself into uh, an asthma attack by imagine eating a cheeseburger, once he learned uh, to do hypnosis, and by the way, I, I wanted to send him to somebody else to teach him hypnosis, but he didn't want to go to any, he had enough doctors. He said, you teach me. And I said, I don't know anything about this. He said, I don't care because he's a teenager. And so I went to my friend, the psychiatrist at Upstate um, Medical University, and he said he would back me up. He told me, by the way, all good clinicians use hypnosis, whether they realize it or not. That's how we help people help themselves. And so by learning about doing hypnosis, I became a better clinician. I learned how to use words better. So uh, the patient with the cheeseburger, he learned to control his emotional reaction. So another time when he was exposed to milk product, he actually was able to prevent himself from needing to be put on a respirator by calming himself. So that was a rather dramatic example. I remember another young man who had um, abdominal discomfort for, I believe it was 13 years. Um, it, was, it was called irritable bowel syndrome, but it was so bad, uh, he couldn't get to school until 10 in the morning. He couldn't go to after-school activities because he had to go home to go to the bathroom. He couldn't travel anywhere very far because he needed to have a bathroom nearby. It really was debilitating. He had been through uh, the rigmarole medically, lots of medical tests, lots of different medications, and nothing helped. I met him, taught him how to regulate his emotions with hypnosis within three weeks he was 95 percent better he just he actually as i was he he's in the chapter of the book and i contacted him um uh, to get permission to write about him and uh see i was doing this like 20 years later he's fine and he still uses hypnosis to this day to help calm himself that's so awesome so and when you say that he uses it, does that mean he has somebody or is it him talking himself into this? So I teach patients right off the bat, again, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So I teach them how to do self-hypnosis to start with. And their job, for example, they learn to use a physical uh, gesture to trigger their relaxation response. So the, the setup for this is they think about a calm place. They think about it with all of their senses. That's hypnosis. So if you daydream like that, you're doing hypnosis. And then I have them pick a sign, like making a fist or crossing the fingers, and they'll tell themselves, whenever I make this sign, I can become this relaxed even when I'm not doing hypnosis. And then the instruction is, whenever you feel stressed, make your sign and, and chill. And the, the kids and then young adults and older adults will then go ahead and do that. So they have control over how they feel. So if they get stressed out, they just calm themselves and then you can much better handle whatever the stressor is. So this is so cool. Cause one of the things, you know, you get into is the idea of how this works with helping them overcome whatever it is. And like in the case of the young man who triggered his asthma by thinking about the, the problems he was having, um, with, I guess, the, the milk products. <laughs> um, right. But it's not only just for, for, for health issues. So um, a college student might be anxious about tests and anxiety might uh, prevent her from preparing well for tests or during a test, the mind blanks out. Hypnosis can be so useful in that. So for example, you can go into hypnosis and rehearse the test before taking it. Imagine what the classroom looks like. Imagine um, being able to recall things easily. Uh, imagine how great you'll feel once the test is over. And by so rehearsing mentally, your test performance can improve. 
Um, also, on the day of the test, if you're nervous, you can use your relaxation sign, and then you can recall things much better when you're calm. An advanced hypnosis technique I use is teach kids how to um, interact with their subconscious, their inner self, and you can actually even consult with your subconscious. If you don't remember a test question, ask for help, and oftentimes the subconscious will help you. And the process you described for tests can be applied in athletics. So an athlete who's having performance anxiety, same, same principles apply. Mental rehearsal beforehand. Uh, an athlete can even imagine uh, a coach uh, giving him advice um, about whatever he's imagining he's doing athletically, and that will improve the play. I tell athletes 90% of sports is mental. Yogi Berra said the other half is physical. He may, may know that quote, but uh, he wasn't too good at math. 90% of sports is mental. And so by mental rehearsal, uh, athletes improve. And by calming themselves uh, during athletic endeavors, their performance improves. I love this conversation. By the way, I wish I'd known you back when I was in undergrad school and in my doctorate stuff. That would have been nice because it's, it's it just even just imagining the room or something like that as opposed to uh, um, worrying about, uh, you know, my favorite would be the committee that uh, had to meet with me to approve proposals and such like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Yeah, I, that was a mess going into that room. <laughs> so, um, awesome. I, I, you know, one of the things I want to ask you is, can how can hypnosis help um, when medical therapy isn't working? Well, one major reason that medical therapy is not working is that psychology is involved, and the traditional Western physician doesn't address psychology. It treat treats the body as if the mind is not even connected. The mind and body are connected. So, so um, when medical therapy doesn't work because there's a psychological issue, uh, just treating the medical condition will make the will not help that much. Typical example: Let's say a young man, young person with asthma, they ha- can't breathe and they get anxious because they can't breathe. That would be a normal reaction. But then the anxiety causes them to become short of breath. And the doctor gives a medication for asthma, which helps the shortness of breath for the asthma a little bit, but nothing for the anxiety. So they get an even more shorter breath because they're not getting better and they get even more anxious. And sometimes patients have been treated with hammers and big medicines for anxiety because a physician failed to realize that the psychology is involved. So one way of thinking about it is this. If you have a medical condition that's not improving with completely with medical therapy, consider the psychology, consider hypnosis as a tool um, to help you deal with that condition. Hypnosis takes 10 minutes to teach. It's not a big procedure. And it can sometimes change a life, as I described in a couple of previous cases. I think every patient with chronic illness, which is like about half of the United States, unfortunately, (laughs) could benefit from hypnosis. Either their symptoms are made worse by their psychology. So if you've had a chronic symptoms for a while, you might get anxious or depressed about them. Or the psychology triggered the symptom in the first place. A common example, you've had a stressful day at work, you get a headache. A child's bullied in school, gets a stomachache. That's how psychology can cause symptoms. And by learning how to regulate your emotions, you get better. That's awesome. That's, uh, I mean, it's, there's any number of aspects that I could see where that would... Uh, um be so helpful because you just kind of work yourself into something. I was, you know, what I kind of wanted to ask is if this is something that might be a part of a treatment for, 
for PTSD and such, um, depending on those situations. Hypnosis can work well for PTSD. With with a so some of the hypnosis we talked about, you can just do on your own, like for the athlete or the the test anxiety. PTSD, you want to work with a therapist who knows how to treat PTSD. So one of the if you're going to go get hypnosis therapy, you want to make sure every teaching the hypnosis can treat your condition without hypnosis as well. But in the case of PTSD, one way of treating it is helping the um, individuals suffering from the condition to uh, reimagine what happened. So they can imagine the, the, the trig- original trigger of the PTSD in a safe way. So they might imagine on a movie screen or in a crystal ball as opposed to imagining they're right there in the middle of it, which can, uh, tri- which can make, be traumatic for them. And then you have them imagine that they knew hypnosis back then. They knew how to calm themselves back then, and they replay the scene in their mind but staying calm. And by doing that, sometimes the PTSD symptoms improve dramatically. That's, that's awesome is to be able to, uh, to have some other options or within that to be able to help, help a patient, uh, come deal with whatever it is that they're dealing with, which I, I can imagine sometimes might be making worse by whatever they're thinking or however their, their thoughts are going. So, and, so this is, this is so powerful. This is what I like about your book is, is the more I read, the more I'm thinking, you know, there's, I would think this would help a lot of people if they, they get a chance. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I want to ask you about is let's, let's get into the kind of like the idea of, of families considering this. I mean, what are some questions to ask when considering hypnosis to figure out whether it's right or not? Well, as I mentioned, anybody with symptoms could potentially benefit, um, because all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, whoever is going to use it needs to want to improve want, and want to make the effort to get better. So that's key. Um, if somebody is quite imaginative, hypnosis is likely to work pretty easily, but it's not necessary. Even people without uh, much imagination or ability to visualize, for example, uh, can benefit from hypnosis. Uh, personally, I don't visualize well at all, and yet I use hypnosis all the time for myself. Um, I think that uh, you can have clues that hypnosis is likely to help a lot if, for example, an, a psychological issue or becoming upset triggers your emotions, or if your emotions cause an emotional, excuse me, if your symptoms cause an emotional reaction, that suggests that emotions are tied into it and hypnosis is likely to help. Gotcha. The, uh, you know, one of the things I got to ask is that if a family's thinking about this, cause they've heard it, like they're, maybe they're listening to the, this interview or, uh, or they've read your book or something like this. Uh, I mean, how do they make, I mean, how, who helps them make a decision to go forward? Is this something that you can talk with a general practitioner about a medical doctor or, or is it something that you have to, you know, I mean, how do you go about finding somebody who, who you could actually ask this question of? It's a great question. So in terms of who do you consult with, should I do this? Unfortunately, a lot of general practitioners don't know much about hypnosis, and that's one of the purposes of um, my book and my practice, which is uh, full-time hypnosis and counseling with children. And by the way, I'm I'm franchising my practice. I want to teach other physicians to do what I do because there's a great need for improved mental health in this country. Um, So um, a general practitioner may not know. Hopefully, 
uh, reading this book, reading the book I wrote and researching it can help the public educate their practitioners. There is, there are societies of hypnosis that are very good. Uh, one in particular is the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, um, and they uh, certify uh, practitioners of hypnosis who are involved in the medical uh, care. Uh, if you want to find a practitioner through that society, their website is asch.net. American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Um, so um, that's one site. You have to be careful. There are other. There are many other hypnosis organizations that don't that will train anyone, like a plumber, to do hypnosis, and you don't want that person to work with you. So again, you gotcha. want to make sure whoever you're working with knows how to treat your condition without hypnosis. Got it. And, I, and that's where I would think people need to advice because they got to overcome a couple of things that we've already talked about, which is you know, what the common thoughts are about the hypnosis, which is the misconceptions of it. And, you know, because it's, it's too common of something. I mean, it, you used to see a lot um, more referenced, but you still see magicians and stuff like this who claim to be doing certain things. And um, so you got to get through that. And then you got to think about, well, where would I start? Because I I don't know. I mean, there's I would think, I mean, I can think of some things with myself where there's certain things that cause me you know, I get a little bit more worked up over other things than, than anything else. And it would be very nice to know who to reach out to to say, I've read about this. Can you help me type thing? Um, so, yeah, so I pr- appreciate that. I mean, it, you know, one of the things, uh, um, can you mention that organization one more time? And I'm going to make sure that's in the show notes, by the way. Sure. So it's the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, A-S-C-H dot net. Excellent. I'll make sure that's in my show notes so that uh, with lots of other connections, they'll be able to find that. So, so is hypnosis any, is it close to or similar or different to meditation? I mean, can they use together to help with wellness? I mean, can we talk about that? Sure. So, so hypnosis and meditations overlap in that they involve changing the mindset. Um, in meditation, the focus is on letting go of thoughts. So you'll, you'll focus on a specific thing like a mantra or your breath. And then if your mind starts to wander, you refocus on that singular thought with ideas that you're going to rest your mind. So that's meditation. Hypnosis, on the other hand, uh, is much more active. So you'll, you'll thought you'll, you'll, you can have a complex thought that gets you out of the here and now, but let's say the relaxing place. And then you give yourself suggestions or take suggestions from a therapist to help change something. So while meditation the idea is to just let things go, and by letting things go, things heal. Uh, hypnosis utilizes imagined or utilizes suggestion to affect change. Uh, people have combined hypnosis and meditation into a single therapy. Um, I'll often use a meditation kind of approach to help people get into hypnosis. For example, you could imagine a sailboat on the bottom of your breastbone, and as you take it, a breath in, the sailboat rises. When you exhale, the sailboat goes down. And I tell people, just imagine the sailboat for a few moments until you enter a hypnotic state. I like that. That's that's interesting. Uh, I, you know, one of the things that uh, I want to make sure that I ask you about is, uh, you know, when we, uh, um, one of the things that you talk about in your book is you talk about the seven ways that parents can help their children cope with crises. And, um, and this is something that in, you know, in education, there's, we, we run across, 
where you're trying to figure out how to give advice and, and support to families that are dealing with any number of types of crises. In this world we have today, um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And I was wondering if we could kind of talk about those uh, seven ways that uh, they might be able to help their children deal with this. So first of all, you want to help the child keep things in perspective. So take, take a step back. Um, ask yourself, whatever we're dealing with, um, how will it look years from now? Um, you know, one of the things I mentioned, uh, the subconscious and teaching people they can reach their inner self. When you realize your subconscious is wiser than you, smarter than you, has been through maybe more things than you have been, it sort of puts things in perspective. So maybe a crisis doesn't seem quite as bad. So that's that's the first kind of approach. Um, the second thing is relax. Uh, a lot of stuff with hypnosis involves relaxation, um, but you don't need to do hypnosis to relax. You can take a walk out in nature. You can listen to music. Um, you can uh, have a candlelight dinner. Um, relaxing allows you to um, think in a more organized fashion, um, and that can be very healing. Um, reframing is a third thing to do. So reframing means uh, looking at things in a different way. Uh, for example, uh, let's say um, you are walking and trip over a hose and fall down. If your attitude is bad to start with, you'll, and you might say, I'm going to have a bad day, and then you trip, yep, I fell and I've had a bad day, and it's going to keep going. And it does. If you have a better attitude and you reframe, you trip, and then you say, oh, I got up again. This was a good day. Same event, but based on how you thought of it, it turned it from a good day or from a bad day to a good day. And so I teach uh, patients and their families to look at things in a positive way. Um, if I can make, may diverge a little bit, there's this, my, my uh, uh, son uh, was born on uh, August the 28th. And then when he was turned 13, he became a bar mitzvah on August the 28th. And he always thought of August 28th as his lucky day. And at when he turned 22, he he was driving his car to his birthday dinner and he got in a terrible car crash. It was a new car. The car masked up, airbags deployed and he walked away unharmed. And he came to me that night and he said, dad, I understand August 20th was my lucky day, but look what happened today. And I said, yeah, look what happened. You survived. You did well. Oh, he said, that's reframing. Um, fourth thing is that remember who you are. I, I through the, through hypnosis, kids learn that they are much more resilient than they might imagine, have much many more inner resources. And even if you don't do hypnosis and you're a parent, for example, please be aware your child, even pre-adolescent, but certainly your teenager knows a whole lot more than they, than they might even realize they know. Um, and a whole lot more than you might realize they, they know. And I think when you treat your child with respect and remember that they have with their own resources, um, you can help your child much better through whatever um, situation you're dealing with. Many parents think they have to solve the issue for their child. And especially in adolescent, that sends such a wrong message because the parent is solving the issue. The underlying message is you can't do it yourself. That's not a good message to have. If, on the other hand, you come to the, the young person and say, what do you think or what should we do here? You're showing confidence that the young person can help themselves, and often they do. 
And even if their solution isn't perfect, go along with it because that empowers the young person and helps them do even better in the future. A fifth uh, tip is to accept yourself as you are. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't things in you that you might not want to change. We all have things we can improve on, but uh, please don't hate yourself. <laughs> if there's a part of you, uh, like many kids uh, get confused and they say, I'm a bad person because I did a bad thing. And I talk to them, no, you're a good person who did a bad thing and can improve. That's again, reframing. Um, but it's okay that you have the propensity to do a bad thing because it's an opportunity to learn. Um, it, you know, so as a teenager, you're going to make mistakes and you don't do it on purpose, but you can make mistakes and then you learn from them and that's how you grow. So don't think of yourself as, oh no, I made a mistake. I'm no good. I can't move forward. Um, another tip is in crisis is to help other people. Help other people, um, because when your focus shifts away from how badly you might be doing um, to helping somebody else, you start feeling better. And that's and there's many ways of doing that. It could be something small. You can just open the door for someone or buy groceries for somebody's homebound because of the COVID quarantine. Or you could do something big. You can make, raise a lot of funds to help uh, treat cancer. Whatever you do, but do something that is helpful. And the last uh, tip I gave in the book is um, trust yourself. Um, we are spiritual beings. This is my viewpoint. And by the way, for people who aren't, who don't have that viewpoint yet, I think once you learn to communicate with your subconscious and understand what resources are inside you, I think most people get it. We are spiritual beings. We are here for a purpose. Again, you have to develop that understanding. Some people don't get it, but. Certainly, that's certainly my belief. A lot of my patients believe that. And then uh, whatever comes your way is part of the journey. Trust yourself. You'll get through it because that's what you're here for, to get through it and to become stronger and fulfill your life purpose. Seven tips. Excellent. I love those tips. Uh, I love it. The, uh, and I appreciate you sharing. And, uh, you know, um, someone wants to find out more, they go into your book. There, there, there they are. So it's good stuff. The, uh, you know, one of the, the things I got to talk about here is that, uh, you know, as we talk about those seven steps and such, it's going to bring me back to this idea. So, you know, parents reading your book or, or their child's reading your book or, just, you know, someone's reading your book and they're or listening to this podcast and they're thinking, um, you know, maybe I should look into this a little bit. What, what would be that first step that they need to take to try and pursue it? Is, is it trying to find that qualified person or is it, you know, are there other things that they should do first? I mean, what... I think that if somebody is inspired by reading the book, um, again, depending on their issue, uh, if they have a medical condition, and find the clinician who can help you. And I mentioned um, the ASCH.net for that purpose. If they have uh, something else that's not, seri not a serious medical condition, but they want to improve being an athlete or an, an artist or a student, um, there are ways of learning self-hypnosis. There are books out there teaching self-hypnosis. Um, I didn't focus my book on that because there are plenty of books and videos out there teaching how to do hypnosis. Um, my book, the purpose more was to, to alert people to all the various facets that hypnosis can touch. Um, 
So you can learn some self-hypnosis techniques and see how they work for you. I would urge you, if you're doing it on your own, to um, uh, realize hypnosis is a mind-body skill. It's not magic, so take some practice. So don't do it once and say that it doesn't work. Um, in fact, that's something worth uh, discussing briefly is if you go to a, a hypnosis practitioner who's not very good or if you try it, uh, just try it from the web or whatever, it's not working, um, that can be hurtful in the sense that you might think hypnosis does not help your condition, and yet it would if you were doing it properly or working with appropriate practitioners. So if it seems to you hypnosis should work based on your reading and based on uh, the understanding that really could help anyone with chronic illness, for example, then keep pushing until it does help because you'll find the right venue at some point. Excellent. Excellent. Awesome information here. You know, Dr. Anbar, uh, as we're getting close to finishing up, could you talk about the role that the subconscious plays in us becoming more honest with ourselves? So uh, we should define subconscious as a part of yourself that you're not aware of. Um, when I first uh, encountered it, when my very first patient with the cheeseburger incident, um, he, I asked the subconscious, and I was able to talk to the subconscious uh, verbally, I asked the subconscious all sorts of existential questions like, you know, what is love? What is music? Uh, is there a God? I mean, all the big questions. And the subconscious had all these answers without hesitation. And when I asked the, uh, uh, the young man outside of hypnosis, uh, the same questions he gave very superficial answers. And that's when I learned the subconscious seems to tap into a different realm. So one of the realms of the subconscious is that um, it doesn't really care so much about social niceties. It's much more blunt. And it will tell you the truth as it is, as long as it doesn't hurt you to know that truth. So when patients ask the subconscious a question, uh, for example, should I trust this friend? The subconscious may say no, while the conscious may have a hard time admitting it because maybe that friend is very popular. So I've learned over and over again that the conscious self often this makes decision based on what's expected uh, by society, while the subconscious makes decisions about what's best for the patient. So if I can give you a little bit longer answer, um, there was a, I, I did this little experiment. I took there was a 16 year old young man who had just learned to drive. And I asked the subconscious, um, so his friends asked him to drive him to the mall, but you've been told you can't take other teens. Should he take the kids to the mall? And his subconscious says, no, he shouldn't take them to the mall. He's not a careful driver. And the conscious self said, who didn't know what the subconscious said, by the way, oftentimes you don't know what the subconscious says. The conscious self said, oh, yeah, I'd probably drive him to the mall. But if I didn't, I'd brag to my parents. And then I posed the same question to a 16-year-old girl who just learned to drive. Her subconscious said, yeah, I drive my friends to the mall. She's a safe driver. And the conscious self said, no, I wouldn't drive to the mall. It's against the law. Now, they gave opposite answers. But in both cases, the conscious answer depended on what was expected by society, the law or the parents or the friends. In both cases, the subconscious gave the answer of what's best for the patient. So the subconscious is actually more honest. That's so, so wild because that's, that's you know something that I think – you know, if it's forcing us to be more honest, I mean, because tapping into that, because I guess, I guess basically what happens is that we lie to ourselves a lot about what's causing something or what, what we're 
thinking about or what we should do or not do. Because this, this whole area of this made me wonder if this is, is a good part in, you know, like people who self-sabotage their relationships. And I was wondering if this is something that could be used to help them kind of deal with what they're doing or doing wrong or why they're doing it. I think it could very well help because their subconscious could explain why they're self-sabotaging and can also discuss with the subconscious can help them maybe create a, a new kind of paradigm in which you don't have to do that to themselves. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's fascinating. I, you know, Dr. Armar, uh, we're, we're coming to a close. I have a couple last questions I want to ask. Um, your, your book, Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, A Journey to the Center, is, is amazing and uh, really gets you thinking about what it might help uh, whether yourself or your family with, and, uh, and uh, kudos on this book. The, uh, uh, where can people connect and learn more about you? So they can go to my website, dranbar.com, so D-R, A as an apple, N as an Nancy, B as in boy, A-R.com. There's information about the book there as well as a lot about hypnosis. They can also go to the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis website, and there's a lot of information about hypnosis there as well. Excellent. I'll have that information in my show notes so people can find it easily. And the last two questions I have for you go like this. The first one is, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Now, I, know, I hope you're not talking about me because I'm, I'm not quitting, but in general. <laughs> nice. um, the key is uh, stay in the moment. When you say so much is going on and it makes you want to quit, that means you're thinking about everything that's going on. And um, when you stay in the moment, that's out of your mind so you can keep moving forward. Uh, one of uh, my favorite philosophers, Lao Tzu, said, uh, those who are depressed live in the past. Those who are anxious live in the future. Those who are at peace live in the present. And he also said something else. He said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So I will tell you, if you feel like quitting because so much is going on, live in the moment and take one step, then take another and you'll keep moving forward. That is awesome. I love this, love this response. And uh, it's, I've asked this question of a lot of people and I thought, this is a perfect person to ask this question of someone who's, who's helping people overcome these different types of uh, in issues that they might have that uh, they might be thinking themselves into, I guess. <laughs> so awesome stuff. Uh, last question for you, Dr. Ambar. Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? So I've had a number of such teachers. One, one teacher, you asked a teacher, uh, Professor Paul Saltman, at UC San Diego. Uh, I met him three weeks into my college career. He was the vice chancellor of academic affairs and I was working for the school newspaper and I did a, was doing a story about what the school administrators do. <laughs> and so I interviewed him and he took a liking to me and became my mentor for the next 15 years. And one of the things particular that he did for me is I remember he used to take me out to lunch. A few times he took me out different times, including when I brought my wife-to-be to meet him. And I always remember that as being very kind. And now I do the same. I will take my students out to meals all the time. And when they want to pay, I say, no, no. I tell them about Dr. Saltman and I say, pay it forward. Because Dr. Saltman taught me about kindness, about making people important, making them feel important. And that's what he did for me. And I do that for my patients and my students. Excellent. That is awesome. I love it. Uh, Dr. Anvar, thank you so much for sharing your book. I mean, this is, it's, 
like I said, changing children's lives with hypnosis, a journey to the center, and uh, is is just uh, is first of all, it's an awesome read. This, I got to tell you, it's kudos on the way you have written this book because it's it's not a it's not a clinical book. It's not like a uh, a, a book that you, a textbook that you would buy to, and you're flipping through it and going, oh, this part's interesting, but uh, I can't make it through here or whatever. It, it's, it is awesome to read. It's easy to read. And I just want to tell you kudos on that. <laughs> and uh, you, you touch into the, uh, everything from the emotions of uh, your successes to uh, thinking this might be helpful for whatever I might be dealing with. And uh, you know, what a powerful book and, I, and an encouraging topic. And I wish you the best in all you do. Thank you so much for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.